Well, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. My name is Chad, if you're new, and just welcome. And right now we have families joining us at Stone Canyon, as well as others who will be joining us later online. So if you would take a moment, welcome them into our services here today. Well, we're only two weeks away from Christmas, and that's crazy. It means things are busy, there's a lot going on, there's a lot going on right now here at our church. And this past Sunday, our early childhood ministry put on their annual birthday party for Jesus. And it was a great event, first time my family ever got to go, but we had a blast, my kids had a blast, and it was a party celebrating Jesus' birth. Now, Christmas is for us, but it's not about us. So that was kind of the theme of this celebration. And so they had a lot to do. If you brought your kids out, you've probably experienced some of this stuff. They had a time where they went through the Christmas story and shared the story, the message of Christmas with the kids. But then they also had crafts and activities, all sorts of fun stuff. And one thing that they did... So they had this photo booth that you could take a picture of your kid beside baby Jesus. Well, not the real baby Jesus, of course, but a baby Jesus lying in a manger. And so your kid could dress up like one of the people who were actually there when Jesus was born. And so my son Alex, for example, took a picture. Here it is up on the screen. He dressed up like Joseph. And so most parents got a sweet little picture with their kids beside baby Jesus or behind baby Jesus. So then after Alex got his picture, we wanted Addie, my 20-month-year-old, to get her picture as well, but let's just say she wasn't having it. We dressed her up like an angel, and I tried to get a picture, and eventually I just turned off my camera and started filming her because this is what happened. Take a look. Addie. gets that from her mother, I promise. <laughs> not exactly the picture that we wanted, not something you put on a Christmas card or anything like that. You know, last week as we began this series, I talked about how when you really study God's Word and you learn the impact of Jesus' birth, His coming to the earth, you realize that the picture that's painted in Scripture is not exactly the picture we often see on Christmas cards or the picture we see portrayed in Christmas plays in church services or in children's storybooks. In fact, the picture of Jesus' birth is much different than how we typically imagine. Because typically when we think of Jesus' birth, we think of a moment in time that was peaceful and calm, kind of quiet and soothing, almost surreal in nature. But when you study the impact of Jesus' birth, what it really meant from the pages of Scripture, you find out that it was anything but. That Jesus coming to the earth was anything but easy and calm and peaceful. In fact, from the moment Jesus first entered our realm, we discover that he was met with opposition and resistance. And John tells us this when he introduces us to Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 10. John writes, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own 
did not receive him. And it's not just that we didn't receive him in the sense of praise him or acknowledge him, that happened, but we also didn't receive him in the sense that we didn't want him. We didn't want him around. And there's a reason for that, because Jesus came to be light, light that existed in the midst of darkness. For thousands of years, darkness had reigned over God's creation. So when Jesus came as light, the light made us feel very uncomfortable. We know this to be true. Anytime we're in a dark room, I talked about this last week, and somebody turns on the lights, what do we do? We kind of squint, or we cover our eyes, we throw something at the person that just turned on the lights, because the light makes us feel uncomfortable when we've been in darkness for an extended period of time. And I believe we had become so accustomed to the reign of darkness that when Jesus came as light, we pushed back against him. That's why eventually Jesus was crucified. See, Jesus wasn't crucified because he was a nice guy. He wasn't crucified because he went around teaching everybody to be kind and graceful. No, he was crucified because the powers that be in this world knew exactly why he had come. The powers that be knew that Jesus' birth, his entrance into our realm, it was a game changer, that nothing would ever be the same again, that he had come to dethrone the powers of darkness. They understood that Christmas is heaven's declaration that the dominion of darkness is getting ready to end. Jesus came for the purpose of ushering in a new dominion, a new age, a new reign. And we see this theme all throughout the events that surround Jesus' birth. Last week we looked at the Magi, the wise men who came to visit Jesus. And remember the question they asked when they went searching for Jesus? Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? I mentioned last week the Magi, they weren't looking for a kid. They were looking for a king. They were looking for someone who was going to rule. Someone who was going to reign. Someone who is going to change everything. Someone who is going to dethrone the powers who are currently controlling this world. And that same kingdom language is found in other passages of Scripture that describe Jesus' entrance into this world. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look, with, look up with me Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start on verse 30. And we're going to look at the first person who really has an explanation of what God is trying to do by bringing Jesus to our world. And that's Mary, the one who would give birth to him. And I want you to pay careful attention to the words that the angel Gabriel says to Mary when he first announces Jesus' birth to her and what's getting ready to take place. And we're going to read in Luke chapter 1 verse 30. If you have our First Church app, you can follow the notes for the sermon on there and the scriptures included in those notes. If you don't have a Bible or Bible app or our church app, you can follow along on the screens. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, listen to the angel's words. It says, But the angel said to her, to Mary, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne. There's that kingdom language, right? The throne of your father David. And he will what? Reign, kingdom language. Reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you notice what the angel said? The angel didn't say just you're going to have a child. Gabriel also didn't say you're going to have a child who's also going to be the son of God. I mean, that's true, definitely. But notice what the Son of God came to do. He came to reign. 
He came to be the king of kings. Mary, you're going to give birth to a king. And two words stand out to me in that passage we just read. And the first word is the name that's given to Jesus. His name, Jesus. That name means the God who saves. It comes from the Hebrew name Joshua. And that's why when the angel appears to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, he, the angel says to Joseph, verse 21, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now here's the thing. When we typically think of Jesus saving us, what comes to mind is him forgiving us, right? If you've been saved, then you've had your sins forgiven. That's what we typically think of. But that word save can also be translated rescue. See, it's not just that Jesus came to forgive us, that's true, but he also came to rescue us. Jesus came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness that was holding us captive. He came to set us free from the lies that we had bought into. He came to rescue us from our emptiness, from our sadness, from our guilt, from our pain. He came to rescue us from our isolation from God. Jesus' birth, is the implementation of God's rescue mission for the world. But then, there's another word that stands out to me. And that's the word reign. Do you notice what the angel said to Mary in verse 33? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus came to start a kingdom. And this kingdom was going to be very different from all other kingdoms that had ever existed because there had been kingdoms since almost the very beginning. There had always been people who tried to be in charge. But the difference between Jesus' kingdom, this kingdom that he was going to establish, and all other kingdoms that have ever existed, is that his kingdom would never end. See, kingdoms of men, they come and go. They're around for a while, but eventually they fall. But Jesus' kingdom is going to last forever. And so what that means is he's going to start a different type of kingdom, establish a different type of kingdom. And if that's the case, his kingdom, it's going to clash with all other kingdoms that already exist. See, that's what Christmas really is. Jesus' birth, in all reality, it's a clash of kingdoms. It's a clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men. It's a clash between the reign of light and the reign of darkness. And that's what Paul basically says in Colossians 1 verse 13. He says, He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. Now notice there are two things that happens when we become part of Jesus' kingdom. One, He sets us free, rescues us, and forgive our, forgives our sins. Two things take place there. And that's why I chose the theme, A Revolution is Born for our series this year. Because a lot of times when we think of Christmas, we just think of a nice, peaceful story. And from an outsider perspective, that's what it is. But it's so much more than that. Jesus wasn't born just to start a holiday. He came to revolutionize life as we know it. He came to dethrone the powers of darkness that had ruled the world for thousands of years. He came to reclaim what rightfully belonged to God, and that's you and me. And the question that we all need to be asking this season, really every season of life, is will you let him reign? Will you let Jesus reign as the king over your life? Because it's one thing to celebrate a baby who was born. It's a whole other thing 
to let him reign as the king of your life? Maybe a better question, since we're talking about kingdoms here, is whose side are you on? Because here's the thing, we really don't like the idea of somebody reigning over us, ruling over us. We don't like that. I mean, we're Americans. We like to be independent, right? We don't want anybody telling us what to do. But here's the thing, on a spiritual level, something will reign over you, whether you like it or not. It's either going to be the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, but you get to choose what's going to reign over your life. And so often, we make the wrong choice. This past Halloween, my family went to the Tulsa Zoo. My family, we are zoo people. We like the zoo. I don't know why, but my kids just love the animals, and it's fun, so we get a zoo pass, and uh, it's a pretty inexpensive um, outing that we take ever so often, but we went to the Halloween is what they call it, uh, during Halloween time. It's basically just a big trick-or-treat fest at the zoo, and my kids, again, loved it, and they had different stations set up, different things you could do to get candy, and one station they set up, or one, I guess, I don't know, um, I don't know what it was called, but it was a palace, basically. They had this building that was decorated like a palace, and they had people that were dressed up like kings and uh, princesses and all that kind of stuff. They had a throne that the kids could come and sit on. They they had a royal ballroom and you had different games and activities that had this royal theme. They had this building that was kind of decorated like a palace. And so Alex was all excited to go to the palace because he heard other kids talking about it. So we went to the palace and we found out once we got there that this palace scene was sponsored by the Burger Kings of the Tulsa area. So that makes sense, right? Palace sponsored by Burger King. So you walked in and everybody got a free coupon for a hamburger at Burger King, but then you also got a Burger King crown. And if you've ever been to a Burger King, especially with a kid, you know, they pass these crowns out. You can pick one up for the kids, these little paper crowns. And kids love to wear them. Sometimes adults like to wear them. Now, the crown that Alice got that night didn't look like this. It was actually a gold crown, which they typically have at Burger King. But I sent my assistant out this week to get one of these crowns to show you guys. And this time of year, apparently, they have a Christmas-themed crown. So this one is not the typical Burger King crown. And I, hesi I, I was hesitant to even bring it up here because if you look at it closely, it's says naughty and nice on it. And I thought, I'm not sure how appropriate that is. I'm not, if you're naughty, then you wear it on this side. If you're nice, you wear it on that side. I'm, not, I'm just going to show you Burger King. That's safe if I show you the Burger King logo. But So Alex got a crown like this, not this exact one. It wasn't a Christmas one. And he wore it when he was in that little palace setup. And after we got done, he eventually took it off. We put it in our stroller. I didn't think anything about it. It's a paper crown. But then we were going to our car and getting in the car and buckling up, and Alex looked at me, he said, where's my crown? I was like, crown, what are you talking about? And my crown, I got it at the palace. I was like, your Burger King crown? I mean, you've gotten a hundred you know, of those over the years or whatever. He's like, no, where's my crown? And so I went through the stroller. I found that it was kind of beat up, but I got it. Here it is, buddy. He said, don't let anything happen to my crown. And I'm like, okay, if you say so. Well, there's a reason why my assistant had to go get another one because I have no idea what happened to that crown. You know, we threw it away. It's gone, long gone, because it's a paper crown. It didn't matter to us one bit. But to him, at least in that moment, it was a big deal. And sometimes, I think that's an illustration of how, how we are in life. We set up our own little dynasties, puny little dynasties, paper crowns, and we chase after paper crowns. And Jesus looking at us and saying, that's what you're living for? That's what's so important to you? That's what matters to you? That's what you're spending your money on? That's what you're wasting your time on? That's what matters to you? And we say, oh yeah, Jesus, this is my kingdom. This is my crown. I'm in charge of this. 
And she's like, you don't understand. If you will turn your life over to me, I have such a better story that I can write for your life. I can offer you so much more. I can let you be part of an eternal kingdom that will last forever, that will give you true meaning and lasting purpose. You can be surrounded by the Father's love, and you can live out the design for which you were created. I'm offering you the chance to be part of a real kingdom, a kingdom that lasts. And we're like, no, no, Jesus. We like our paper crowns. And so we put all of our energy and effort into chasing after paper crowns that are here one day and gone the next. And Jesus looking at us saying, I can offer you so much more than that. Will you let him reign? Because we don't like the idea of somebody reigning over our lives, but somebody's going to reign, either darkness or Jesus. Darkness offers us this. Jesus offers us something that lasts. And I think that's a question we especially need to ask this time of year. Because this time of year, it's really easy for us to be focused on us and what we want and forget what really matters. Even though this is a season that we say is all about Jesus, let's face it, we make the season a lot of times all about us. I don't know if you saw this picture from a few years ago, but there is a picture I saw online. It was in a news story of a Nike outlet store after Black Friday. Take a look at this picture. That's what the store looked like after their Black Friday sale. And I remember looking at that picture online thinking, who would do that? But I'll tell you who would do that. Our culture does just that. Because what is Black Friday supposed to be all about? Buying gifts for people for Christmas, right? That's what it's supposed to be all about. And is that what Christmas has become for, to us? Has Christmas become a selfish, consumeristic experience that's just all about us to the point that it steals our joy, the joy that Jesus' reign is supposed to bring into our lives? See, Jesus refuses to share the throne of your heart with anyone or anything. He didn't come to establish a love seat that you and he could sit on together. He came to reign. And honestly, we may not want to admit it, but that's exactly what we need. We need him to rescue us. We need him to lead us out of darkness. And I think Mary got this. And that's why when Mary hears this language about Jesus coming to reign as king and he's going to establish a kingdom that will never end, she doesn't get depressed or upset or say, I don't want anybody reigning over me. No, she gets excited. Mary is pumped. She is so excited about Jesus coming to reign that she breaks out in song. You ever had that happen? You ever been so excited about something you just start singing? I do this all the time. I sing constantly. I'm a horrible singer, but I sing all the time. The other day I was singing in our house and Alex, my five-year-old, looked me he said daddy your singing is awful and I'm like well uh, at least he's honest and he's right it is awful but when I get excited when I'm happy I sing Mary is so excited so thrilled at this news she breaks out in song and listen to what she sings jump on down with me if you would to verse 46 of chapter 1 this is part of the Christmas story we often overlook you may have read it before but believe it or not there's a whole song recorded that Mary sings as she celebrates the news that the angel brought her and listen to what Mary sings Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So Mary sings this song, and the first part of the song is basically praising God for what he is doing individually in her life. She is humbled that God would choose somebody like her for such a task. But then the rest of the song is all about praising God for what he's getting ready to do through Jesus, what Jesus' revolutionary reign is going to bring. And as she goes through and she talks about what Jesus is going to bring, we can just tell that Mary is getting more and more pumped, more and more excited. And I think there's a reason why she was excited. Because you have to understand the day that Mary grew up in. Mary grew up in an age when tyrants selfishly ruled the world. I'm sure Mary grew up very familiar with the name Alexander the Great. You may have heard of him as well. Alexander ruled the entire world, at least the known world, about 300 years before Mary was born. And he was a fierce warrior, and he was a brilliant mind. And he conquered the entire world, and that's why he's known as the Great because of his military successes. He advanced Greek culture all over, and he brought prosperity to much of the world. But how did Alexander accomplish this? By conquering the weak, by oppressing others. Now, he wasn't as evil as some, different, uh, some of the tyrants who lived in the ancient world, but still, you didn't get in his way. If you got in Alexander's way, you were either disposed of or you were turned into a slave. For Alexander, it was all about getting and conquering more to the extent, according to legend, that one day when he thought there were no other nations that he could conquer, he sat down with his sword and cried because conquering the known world still wasn't enough. I'm sure Mary was also familiar with the name Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus was another guy who ruled the world about 175 years prior to the birth of Jesus. And he believed that he was the physical incarnation of the Greek god Zeus. And so he wanted people to worship him. He definitely had a god complex. And one day he took over the city of Jerusalem and he went into the temple of God and he set up in the temple of God an altar to the false god Zeus and he ordered that everybody offer a sacrifice to Zeus, which was basically worshiping him because he thought he was Zeus. And so he made everybody offer this sacrifice and part of the sacrifice was you had to eat pig's flesh. Well, you guys know there was no more unclean animal in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish religion, than a pig. And so there were Jews who refused to do this. And so you know what happened? Antiochus, he tortured them, he killed them. And eventually this led to the Maccabean Revolt, which is what we now refer to, or Jews now refer to as the celebration of Hanukkah. But again, how did Antiochus take over the world? By force. You either did what he said or else. And that's how rulers in the ancient world ruled, especially the one who was ruling the world when Mary was alive, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus' dad, his name was Julius, Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar was worshipped as a god in the ancient world. The Romans believed he was divine. And so this thing called emperor worship developed throughout the Roman Empire. And so when Caesar Augustus took the throne, they worship him as a god as well. He was known as the son of a god. But when Caesar Augustus took over the empire, the empire was divided, and so he decided to unite the empire, and he did. In fact, he united the empire, and a great age of peace was ushered in, known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But here's the thing. You know how he initially got that peace? Through war and bloodshed. 
And after that, even though Rome was at peace for years and years after that, you didn't try to disturb the peace. If you did, you were taken out. So for generations, how did the powers that be rule the world? By oppressing the weak through force, through bloodshed and war. But here's the thing, all those kingdoms that I just mentioned, they eventually came to an end. You know why? Because kingdoms who rule by the sword always fall. And I'm convinced that's the reason why Mary is so excited, thrilled, and thrilled at the news of Jesus' birth, because he's going to be a different type of king. He's not going to be a king that will establish a kingdom by the sword. No, he's going to establish a kingdom that's based on something else. He will establish a reign that will transcend and outlast all other kingdoms, all other kings. And Jesus, he's going to reign. He's going to take over the world. He's going to reclaim what rightfully belongs to God. But he's going to reign over the world, not by force, but through self-sacrificial love. Yes, Jesus came to revolutionize the world, but the plan was never for him to do it by force, but by unleashing a revolution of God's love. See, here's the thing. Caesar Augustus, he probably never heard the name Jesus. But his successors will know the name Jesus. In fact, to the point that the later emperors will do everything they possibly can to stamp out Christianity, the followers of Jesus. You know why? Because the early Christians were taking over the world and they never threw a punch. They never fired a weapon. They never fought a war. They were taking over the world with love. The self-sacrificial love of God. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, Paul says, when you truly experience and know the love and the grace and the mercy of God, it changes you. You can no longer live for yourself, but now you live for God. And as you live for God, you want to be like Him. His love compels you to extend that love to other people. And as that love is extended, it changes others to where a revolution takes place. And the world isn't the same anymore. Because this love, the love of Jesus, love of God, it's a game changer. And now the question that we need to ask 2,000 years later as the church, as followers of Jesus, are we ready to sign up for Jesus' revolutionary movement? Are we ready to join in his revolution? Because Jesus expects for the world to look different because we're here. Because now we are the bearers of light. Now we are the ones who are to be extending his love. And I think if we truly... We're letting Jesus reign in our lives and extending that reign to those around us like we should. The world would look totally different. See, here's what the world looks like when Jesus reigns. First of all, the unnoticed no longer go unnoticed. And we see Mary talking about this in the song that she sings. I mean, as she talks about herself, she's kind of curious, why would God choose somebody like me? I mean, have you ever asked the question, why Mary? I mean, Mary is going to be the one to give birth to Jesus, and that's a pretty important job. We would think that God would pick the very best person for this role, but think about it. 
Mary wasn't royalty. She didn't live in a palace. She wasn't famous. She didn't have some cool position in society or in the culture. She didn't have more Instagram or Twitter followers than anybody else. No, she was a poor Jewish Galilean girl. She's barely a teenager, probably no older than 15. She wasn't especially educated. She had very little that she could put on a resume. In fact, when Mary walked down the street, probably most people didn't even notice her. But God did. God noticed her. And that's why Mary sings in verses 46 and 47 of the passage we read, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. You see, as you read throughout the Bible, you will notice an overarching theme, and it's this. God does big things through small people. He notices those that everyone else ignores. He pays attention to those who no one else sees. Why? Because God isn't impressed with status or wealth or worldly achievements. No, God looks at the heart. I mean, just think about the central characters that are involved in the story of Jesus' birth. Think about Mary and Joseph. They weren't elite, the elite of society. They weren't wealthy. They weren't famous. They were a no-name couple from the podunk town of Nazareth. Think about the shepherds. Shepherds, we have this romanticized view of shepherds in our day and age, but shepherds in this day and age were not considered trustworthy. They were considered the outcasts of society, and yet the first people who hear the announcement of Jesus' birth are the outcasts of society. What about the wise men, the magi? We talked about them last week. They were foreigners. They were Gentiles. They weren't even allowed to fully worship in the temple of God. They were outsiders, and yet God reveals the birth of his son to them. And it's interesting to me, God didn't appear to Augustus or King Herod or Pontius Pilate. No, he appeared to those who were unnoticed by everyone else, but who were willing to seek him. And today, I just want to speak to you directly. If you feel unnoticed or overlooked or alone, God notices you. He hears your cries. He hears your pain. You are not overlooked by him. You matter to him. He notices you. And the story of Jesus' birth reminds us there is a place for you and me in his kingdom. We don't deserve a seat at his table, but he has made sure there's a place for us. And because there's a place for you in his kingdom, we want to let you know as a church today, there's a place for you here at First Church because First Church, we want to be a reflection of who our God is. We believe the church on earth is God's kingdom in its present form. And so we want to let you know you are welcome here. It's sad to say, but in some churches, you've got to dress a certain way or act a certain way or be part of a certain social group in order to fit in. That is not the way it is here. Everyone is welcome here who comes here to seek our God. We are a place for everyone. One, it doesn't matter your social background, your economic background, your racial or ethnic background. It doesn't matter to us. Everyone has a place in God's church in his kingdom. And so let me challenge our church, those of us who are a part of First Church. Make sure you're noticing those who go unnoticed. Because there's a lot of people this time of year especially who go unnoticed. Pay attention to those people. And do whatever you can to show them the love of God. Invite them to our Christmas services. 
you go out to the hub today or in different parts of our building, you can pick up one of these little cards that has the theme for our sermon series. And it's an invite to our December 23rd Christmas Sunday services. Invite somebody to come with you, even if they want to come to a service time that's not the one you typically come to. Come with your family at your normal time and come back with them so that they feel comfortable here. I want to challenge everyone in our church to invite somebody to our Christmas Sunday services because there's somebody out there in your life right now who needs to know the love of God. The second thing that happens when God reigns, when Jesus reigns, is that mercy is extended to those who don't deserve it. And by the way, when I say those who don't deserve it, that's all of us, because none of us deserve the love of God. None of us deserve to be included in his family. And that's why in Luke 1, verse 50, Mary sings, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy is available to all of those who turn to him, who fear him, not fear him in the sense of being scared of him, but who recognize his reign, who honor him. And so let me issue you another challenge. I want you this Christmas, I want you to go out and love somebody who doesn't deserve to be loved. You know why I want you to do that? Because that's exactly what God did for us. I remember talking to a guy a few years ago. He was a strong Christian guy, strong follower of Jesus. I'm going to call him Dan. That's not his real name. But he was telling me the story. He said one day he was at a gas station, and as he was finishing filling up his car, he was walking inside. He was going to get a cup of coffee or something. And as he's walking inside, he hears this guy at another pump just hollering and screaming, just all upset. He's mad. He's cursing. And the reason why he's mad, he's letting everybody know why, is because he had to wait in line forever to get to a pump because it was busy. It was during the Christmas season. And when he got to the pump, the pump credit card thing was down. He was going to have to go inside and pay. And he was mad that the credit card slot wasn't working. And so he's going off. He's mad. So this guy that I was talking to, Dan, he goes on inside, and the other guy is following in. And before the guy can get to the counter, Dan pays for this guy's gas he puts in like 30 or 40 dollars something like that to go ahead and pay for the guy's gas the other guy was all mad didn't realize that he gets up to put some money uh, to give the, uh, the clerk some money to pay for his gas and it's already been paid for and the guy's like what who paid for my gas and the clerk didn't know he wasn't supposed to say but he said oh that guy that's walking to his car right there and so the guy who was mad took off after dan he said buddy stop why'd you pay for my gas he's still mad why'd you pay for my gas and Dan just looked at me and said, it's just something I thought I needed to do today. And the guy said, why would you do that for me? I don't know you. He said, yeah, uh, you're right. Dan goes, but I know somebody who does know you. And I think that's what he would want me to do. Who knows me? And the guy's like still all mad. He said, well, this is going to sound a little weird, but God knows you and he loves you. And I just thought you might need that today. And so immediately the guy that was mad said, oh, you're one of those fanatical church people, aren't you? And Dan's like, I don't know about that, but I do know that there was a day when God loved me when I didn't deserve it. So I thought I would just show you a little love today. And Dan offered this guy his business card, which had his cell phone on, and he said, you ever want to talk more about that love? He said, you can text me, call me, whatever. He said, if you want to come visit my church, you can hear all about it there. Dan got in his car and drove off, thinking he would never hear from the guy again. Five weeks passed. He didn't hear from the guy, but five weeks passed. And one night, he got a text message from the guy, and he said, What was the name of the church that you went to? I'd like to come and see you again and thank you again for paying for my gas. The guy showed up. He showed up again and again. Dan sat with him. Didn't know the guy before they met each other at the gas station. Eventually, he had joined a small group, a life group in their church. And when Dan was telling me the story, the guy hadn't accepted Jesus yet, hadn't been baptized yet, but he was coming regularly and going to a life group. And Dan told me this all started 
because I just showed somebody some love who everybody else probably thought didn't deserve it. Guys, that's what can happen when we extend God's love. So I want to challenge you. This time of year especially, extend God's love to somebody who doesn't deserve it. If you can't think of anybody who doesn't deserve it, come and see me. I'll show you some people who are hard to love, okay? I will point them out. I keep a list in my office. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. But seriously, find somebody who's hard to love, and they may reject it. They may never show up. You may not have the same story as Dan, but you never know what type of impact that might make. The third thing that I think happens when we live under the reign of God is that the empty are filled. So many people in our culture today live without hope, and that's especially true this time of year. I think that's why the suicide rates go up this time of year, because living without hope isn't really living. It's just existing, and guys, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. You were made for far more than to simply exist. Jesus came so we could live a full, complete life. And that's why Mary sings in verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. See, those who have put all their hope in meaningless things, they're going to walk away from this life empty. But those of us who have put our hope in Jesus, we're going to live full, content, peaceful lives. Because here's the thing. God wants more for your life than the cookie-cutter existence that everyone else has settled for. I want to let you know today, I believe with all my heart, God wants to do something big with your life. Now, you might be thinking, me? I mean, what do I have to offer? But that's the thing about our God. What seems small in the eyes of men becomes something big in the hands of God. And I believe that this Christmas, God wants to do something big through this church. Alice and I recently just a few months ago, uh, joined a life group here at First Church. And let me just say, if you're not part of a life group, get in one. It is awesome. We love our life group. It's so much fun. It is great doing life with fellow Christians who are struggling with the same things you're struggling with and trying to walk with Jesus. If you're not part of a life group, become part of one. It's awesome. And we love our life group. And the other night, we were meeting with them, and we're talking about this whole theme of a revolution is born and how Jesus came to shake everything up and change the world. And as we're sharing stories, one girl in our, in our group, she said, you know, I was all excited when our church announced what we were going to do on Christmas Eve. And I was like, yes, this is what we need to be doing, and this is awesome. And she said, then it hit me. We have Christmas Eve breakfast every year with my family. She said, I can't do it. And I thought that as she was talking group, she was trying to make an excuse before the preacher of why she can't come to Christmas Eve. And then she changed gears totally. And she said, but my husband and I, we talked about it, and we said... Our family, they'll wait. We'll still see them later. This is bigger than us. We want to come to the Christmas Eve serve opportunity and see what God does with it because we believe something big is going to happen through it. Guys, that's awesome. And I believe what that couple was saying in our group. I believe we are on the cusp of God doing something incredible in the life of this church. But what it's going to take is for us to actually let Him reign, let Him lead. And when we do, we're going to show the world his love in a way like we never have before. I love, how, I love what Mary says in this passage, and I especially like how one commentator translates what she says. One commentator says, I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. I love that line, I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. Guys, what if we actually lived like we were the most fortunate people on earth? Because doesn't that describe all of us? 
If we've been rescued by Jesus, if he is our king, if we are now living in his love and his grace, aren't we the most fortunate people on the face of the planet? Let's live like that. And I believe when we do live like that, God's kingdom will break into this world in a way like it never has. And those who go unnoticed will be noticed. Those who are living with guilt will receive mercy that they don't deserve, just like we receive mercy that we don't deserve. And guys, those who are living empty lives will be filled. That's why Jesus came. That's why I want to be part of his revolution. And that's why I believe this church has been placed here at this time to extend his revolutionary movement to the 918 and beyond. Jesus came for more than just starting a holiday. He came to revolutionize the world as we know it. Let's join with him. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had to open up your word and study. And Father, I pray that we, like Mary, we get excited about your son's revolutionary movement, that he came here to change the world. And he's not going to change it by force, by bloodshed, by sword. He's going to change the world through his self-sacrificial love. Father, may we extend that love to everyone we meet. And if there's someone today who's listening to my voice, who's never experienced that love, may they find it today because it will change their life. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.